On this edition of Alberta Dugout Stories, the podcast, six-year major leaguer and 16-year pro Keith Comstock joins us to talk about his career, his time with the Calgary Cannons, and the infamous baseball card. Welcome to episode 160 of Alberta Dugout Stories, the podcast. I'm Joe McFarland. Keith Comstock was a fifth-round pick of the California Angels back in 1976. He went on to spend 16 years in pro baseball, including six in the majors. Near the end of that journey, he pitched in 20 games for the Pacific Coast League's Calgary Cannons between 1989 and 1991. Comstock might be best remembered, though, for the ball-to-the-groin pro cards baseball card when he was with the Las Vegas Stars in 1989, with ESPN calling it the funniest baseball card ever made. Nowadays, Comstock is a coach working with the Texas Rangers as their pitching rehab coordinator. Our Ian Wilson was able to track him down and have this candid conversation about his journey in baseball, which included an earlier stop in central Alberta. Keith, welcome to Alberta Dugout Stories, the podcast. First off, I guess why don't we start at the beginning, uh, 1975. Uh, as a young man, you find yourself uh, pitching for the Red Deer Generals in uh, semi-pro ball. Tell me a, a little bit about that and how you ended up coming to Red Deer. Well, it was uh, it was after after my freshman year of college, and uh, you know, guys uh, um, that had good years in college were often asked to go uh, to certain places like Colorado um, and uh, and get a chance to go up to Alaska, play in Anchorage, and and then there's Canada where guys went had an opportunity to go play in Canada as well. Um, and Red Deer was one of the ones that had contacted my college. Uh, with an opportunity to go up there and pitch during the summer and the opportunity to go up there also to pitch against older guys, some college guys that were, uh, at, um, uh, you know, more, uh, experienced colleges like USC, UCLA and, uh, and all that being a junior college guy, you, you know, you got the opportunity to go there. You jumped at it, which is what I did. Yeah. Any, uh, any memories stand out, uh, in particular from that, that time, uh, up North, was that your first time coming to Canada and, and what did you think of it? Yeah. Well, it was the first time coming up to Canada, and it was in Red Deer. Um, I remember um, they got me a job um, pumping gas and also uh, in charge of uh, turning on and turning off automatic water sprinklers, and I got paid to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually went there, and I go, okay, what time do they need to get turned on? And the guy goes, they're automated. You don't have to turn <laughs> them on. You just watch them. <laughs> well, that sounds like a good gig. <laughs> They're like, okay, what time do I turn them off? He goes, they're automated. <laughs> yeah, 75 was the year that uh, Jim Bouton of uh, Ball 4 fame ended up pitching for the, the Calgary Jimmies. Uh, he was only here for like a couple weeks in July. Did you end up crossing paths at all with him, or, or were you aware I of that? I don't think I did. If I yeah. did, I don't remember because um, I got hurt halfway through the season farting around playing football with some of the other guys. Okay. And uh, I ended up falling on my shoulder and separating my shoulder. And I told him, I said, I'll be, I'll, I'll only be two weeks. I'll, I'll be okay in two weeks. He said, No, we got to find somebody else. But I was shipped out of there in three days. Oh wow! He got hurt. He didn't stick around. They they found somebody else down in the states, or found somebody else that they could just you know not have to rehab. You you know you needed the pitching staff. He couldn't wait for somebody to get healthy. 
Right. In 1976, you're, of course, drafted by the California Angels in the in the fifth round. But if I'm not mistaken, it's a bit of a bittersweet time in your life. Your, your father was uh, had cancer. Walk me through that, that period of your life and, and just everything that was going on at that time. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was a tough, obviously, you know, being a patriarch of the family with five boys. Um, at that time, it was really difficult for me because knowing he was going through the worst part of his life and I was going through the best part of mine, um, it, it was a, it was tough to find some kind of middle ground for me. And I just remember, um, you know, he died right before my 21st birthday. Wow. Uh, excuse me, right after my, uh, yeah, right before my 21st birthday. And so, it, you know, that was a difficult time as well. Uh, not just for me, but for us all. Um, and, and he never had a chance to see any pitches of pro. He was supposed to come up and and watch me pitch but i had got hurt uh, a, a line drive to my ankle when i was pitching in Lethbridge, and um and so it, they were supposed to come up in two weeks him and my mom and they never got a chance to see me so that was some really really tough time you know uh, for me because uh, he was a big man um and through and i don't think really cancer that that that, that killed him it was more of the radiation okay there wasn't any chemo at that time right Right. How did that influence you in terms of a baseball sense? Was that something you used as as kind of motivation? Did you did you want to pay tribute to your father with your baseball career, that kind of thing, or or how did you view that? Well, at that time, it was, it was a little bit of um, you know most uh, um, you know when you when you did something good, you know you call up your mom and you call up your dad. And, you know, so you, you kind of lose that, that connection where you're not talking to your dad anymore. Um, so it was more of a depression than it was motivation. Yeah. Um, and, and it was sort of like that for a while. Uh, then a good friend of mine and a, and a teammate at that time, Mark Brohard, uh, lost his dad six months later. So we connected on that. And then uh, somewhere along the line, depression did start taking over and then motivation uh, really started, uh, I, I don't know when it was, probably after my first release, after I got released in 79 with the Angels. Um, and then all of a sudden, I think I, I got motivated. Some of the things that he had said to me, um, I started to remember rather than not, you know, not go to, I started to remember to, and then, then it became more of a motivation after I got released that first time. Yeah. You, you had a lengthy, uh, journey through through the minor leagues, obviously. And one of the things I found interesting about uh, just kind of reading up uh, on your story is uh, you got a reputation as a, as a prankster and a bit of a jokester over the years. Uh, so if we could do, I'd love to do a little bit of like true and false with some of those stories. Uh, when, <laughs> uh, 1977, you're, you're with Quad Cities and you steal the team bus to take your teammates downtown run over a fire hydrant and end up in jail was that uh, did did i read that right yeah you read that right <laughs> yeah you read that right yeah. Yeah, man, back in the 70s you could do a lot of things that uh you know there's no internet there's no youtube i would have about, probably been a youtube sensation back in those days <laughs> but there was nothing that could get us uh released on because i was selling really well and my manager just came down and just uh um, back in those days they just find you, took you out of jail, and that was it. Now, if I was doing really crappy, I probably would have got released, but at that time I was his closer, so I didn't get released. <laughs> in 1983, uh, the, the Oakland A's, they, they sell you to Detroit for $100 and a bag of balls, and you had to 
deliver the balls, true or false? That's true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, the baseballs were, uh, Charlie Finley had used, uh, wanted to use orange baseballs at one point. They were fluorescent orange baseballs. He wanted to use them for night games. Charlie was uh, a guy back in those days. I was from the Bay Area, so I knew a, a, a lot about him just as a, being a, a, a giant and A's and kind of stuff. But he had this idea of uh, fluorescent baseballs. Mm. And obviously they, they didn't work out. Uh, and uh, so at some point um, we used them as batting practice and stuff like that. But they became a collector. They knew that at some point they were going to come collector's items. So Walt Jockety who was the farm director at that time, Dick Winsick was a friend of his who was a farm director with the uh, uh, Detroit Tigers. And so when I got sold, which was not uncommon, you know, you either got released or you got sold, you got traded, the various ways for you to move to different organizations. In, in today's environment, when I coach the Rangers, it, we, we do it for just $1 now. Yeah. Uh, but back in the day, it was $100. So it was $100, and then uh, he asked me to deliver these... Uh, orange baseballs to Dick as a friend and it, you know it wasn't like I was upset with or anything like that it was just a dozen uh, you know it was a dozen baseballs I threw them in my bag yeah no problem uh, gave it to him and then as the story started to prevail more I started just to kind of go with it because it was more of a you know more of a Wikipedia story than anything else and uh, so I just kind of more elaborated on it as it went but I never there was no offense well meant intended uh, it was more of a gesture from one friend to another. Hey, can you do this? And at that time, I was appreciative of Oakland. They could have easily released me, uh, but they they sold me the Tigers. Tigers needed a, a, a an older guy at Double A, and you know, believe it or not, '83 was a big year for me, and it kind of turned my career around. So if I don't get sold, things might not have happened. Uh, and, and then mid '80s, you make your way over to Japan, and uh, you played under the legendary Sadaharo O. Uh, in Japan, tell me what that experience was like. Again, I mean, uh, came uh, '84. I spent a little time in the big leagues. Uh, had a really good year in AAA. Um, and '85 was also a, a, a collusion year when the, when the owners were colluding, and so it was really hard to move. And so a lot of guys were uh, opting out to, to go to AAA. I mean, go over to Japan. And, or just to you know, try to do things to extend their career. At that time, for me, uh, Japan came calling, and um, uh, I, I was on the AAA roster for the tw- uh, for the Twins at that time. And um, you know, I kind of decided what to do. I, I talked to the Twins. I wanted to know that their future with me was at that time. And um, a lot of it was, well, you know, we're not sure what you're going to be. You might be our sixth starter. Hold on, my grandkids are here. Yeah, no worries. And so, uh, yeah, my grandkids are sort of. So anyway, uh, so um, the, uh, uh, so I said, well, six starter in the big leagues. I'm not sure I've ever heard of a six starter before. So <laughs> not back uh, in those days, I got eh? The opportunity, yeah, I got the opportunity to talk to Calvin Griffith about just kind of selling my contract to the Tokyo, getting a chance to go over there. You know, um, just just for the money. I'd been, you know, minor league kind of put you in a debt, you know, and uh, and so having a family and stuff, I had the opportunity to go to Japan and make some money and get out of that minor league debt was really attractive to us as a family. Um, and then having to play for the Tokyo Giants was just even that larger. Uh, I didn't know the history of it. I did some history after I signed with them. 
and then uh, obviously getting a chance to to meet Sarada O, which was a great uh, privilege, because uh, I really got to see how he went about his work. And Japan did a lot of things for me. It, it helped me uh, deal with the umpiring, which was really bad. And I figured when I came back to the big leagues, it was going to be really bad as a rookie. Um, but it taught me to also uh, uh, pitch in front of crowds, the lights, which was different, and and just be around the media and stuff. Um, all that stuff played a big part of me when I came back from Japan. But just being a little bit more mature in those areas really helped me out. I remember uh, going out to dinner from a hotel uh, over there with a, a couple of other American gaijins that were on the other team. And Osan was still uh, um, signing autographs at that time. And it was probably maybe 11 o'clock. And we came back maybe about 2 o'clock, and he was still there signing autographs. Wow. So three hours later, um, that's just kind of the guy he was. And I remember some of the advice he gave me, and I just, I'll never forget that. Uh, he goes, um, shoot for the moon. If you miss, you're among the stars. And so <laughs> I always took that to note, too. Yeah. I, I read one story where he had actually asked you uh, to strike out during an at-bat to, so as not to uh, hit into a double play, <laughs> which double I found. Play. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, it was... <laughs> You know, I, I, granted, I didn't have a great batting average at that time, but I went up there with the bases loaded and nobody out. And yeah, and, he, and, and right before I walked up to the plate, he just said, he comes over and he goes, Kamisan, I have a very bad feeling about this. And <laughs> I, I wish you, but, but for you not to swing at anything and just take the out. Yeah. And I was like, huh? <laughs> and he goes, yeah, I have a bad feeling about this. Just kind of like, all right. So I went up to the plate, and the very first pitch, it was this ball that was right down the middle, and I just, you know, instincts took over, and I hit it to the shortstop for easy 6 4 3 <laughs> He wouldn't talk to me for two weeks. <laughs> well, there you go. You learn about listening to the coach over there, too, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. you also, you're from the uh, uh, San Francisco uh, area, and you got the opportunity uh-huh. to play for. Uh, San Francisco Giants. What uh, what was that like? Just getting a suit up, uh, you know, in basically your your hometown park. Yeah, I'll, uh, when I came back from Japan, uh, obviously I still had you know the drive to pitch and was still pitching really well. Just didn't have any opportunities the the second year in my Japan experience to go over there. They sent me down to the minors, so uh, I just wanted to come back and I knew I was still healthy and still pitching. So I just made some phone calls to some teams. And uh, and then I just called the Giants, and uh, I remember uh, and just having them, and they said, well, um, I don't know who we're going to be able to send out there to watch a pitch, because it's is a Gold Gate League, which is about 30 miles from my house. And, and, and I did that every winter. I pitched in this Golden Gate Park League. And um, so I said, well, here we send out, just have them make a decision, because I'm having other teams out there, and I want to be able to make a decision with these teams. So, And one of them was the Dodgers. And uh, and so I remember pitching in that game, and uh, Al Rosen, the general manager of the team, had come by with his wife. Uh, and they were riding this kind of double bicycle through Golden Gate Park, and uh, had had stopped, um, and watched me pitch. And then one of the scouts that also was there was at the Giants had come down and said, yeah, "Al Rosen uh, would like to see you tomorrow. We'll sign a contract tomorrow." And so I just happened to throw a no-hitter that day, and so he saw that, and the next day I was signing with the Giants. Nice. Which is pretty cool because all my family, you know, we're big Giant fans and stuff like that, my father, my dentist, everybody. Yeah. You know, that I could remember talking to. So 
it was a great experience for Seinfeld. And I just I just remember uh, uh, when I got called up, that was just a great experience too for the first time playing for the Giants out there. So it was you know my mom, my dad had passed obviously, and that, that by that time, and so my mom had got the opportunity. Uh, she never saw me pitch in the big leagues before, so that was that was pretty cool. And I heard your brother caught one of uh, a foul foul ball off one of uh, yeah, one of your yeah, pitches yeah, as well. Yeah, the first yeah. pitch I threw, Alex Garaga. <laughs> yeah, first pitch I threw, he fouled it off. It, it bounced once and landed in my brother's hand. No way. And, and does he still have that ball, or did he give it to you? Or I have no idea. Yeah, I have no idea. He's in Texas. I have no idea. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, I'm sure he does. Yeah. Yeah, I think he wanted to give it to me, and it just never passed along. I know I don't have it. Yeah, <laughs> that, 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 that much I do know. And, and I heard you got uh, you, you got to play the field uh, for one game uh, with the Giants as well. Got to play in the outfield and uh, even scale the wall <laughs> during that game. Well, I don't, I don't know about scaling the wall, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that sounds really good. That I the wall. Uh, yeah, I got to play. I mean, it was the first double switch. I, I don't remember if anybody had done that before, but Roger Craig had come out and. Uh, he paid me a really good compliment and said, I've seen you shag. I took shagging really, really serious back in that day. He goes, I've seen you shag. You'll be okay. And so he put me in right field and brought in Randy Bacchus to, fit, to pitch to Dale Murphy, with Ken Griffey Sr. on deck. Yeah. And I remember just going out to right field, and I remember thinking to myself, wow, this thing is uh, uh, this thing's really far away. <laughs> I remember thinking that. It's the first thing I thought. And I thought, man, I give up balls as it far away. <laughs> uh, and you know when you're when you're shagging during batting practice, you got all sorts of people around. You got people, uh, you know, shagging. You got the press around. You got it's just tons of people. And then when during the game, I remember just thinking that it was just me and the center fielder and the left fielder. There was just so much territory. Right. And uh, I remember, I remember after first pitch was a foul ball down the right field line. So I went chasing over the right field line, and I and it's old, old Atlanta Fulton County Stadium. And that right field line is just a bullpen. It goes only up out to your thighs. I remember hitting that full blast and almost flipping over into their bullpen. <laughs> yeah. And and their, and their bullpen, my hat came off, and they wouldn't give me my hat back. <laughs> so I was fighting with their bullpen, and they're throwing their dip at me. They're, everything they could throw at me, they're throwing <laughs> at me, throwing water. So I finally get my hat back, run back to right field, and then the next ball is hit over my head. And I go running, and it obviously it was a home run, 13, 14 rows up the inning, and I just kind of ran into the wall. Not so much <laughs> scaling it, just ran into it. <laughs> Felt like I almost knocked myself out. I ran into it so hard. <laughs> I had to come back to pitch to Ken Griffey Sr. He hits a triple off me, and I remember that was the, not as fun as experience I was hoping that was going to be. <laughs> You of course uh, also had some some more uh, minor league travels in the in the late eighties, and I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up the uh, the infamous or famous uh, Las Vegas Stars uh, uh, baseball card. <laughs> that that story is 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 well documented, and for our listeners who are unfamiliar, basically it's you you've got a baseball positioned in your crotch area, and it looks as though you've just been nailed in the nads and uh i just i love that that story and i love it kind of just shows how much fun you were having with with baseball i know you're kind of getting your teammates to help you out uh to get that achieved just because a lot of the baseball cards especially the minor league ones were just so drab and boring and uh the story that i read you know the, the photographer was well aware of who was lefty who was righty so he was just no nonsense and not putting up with anything and 
you managed to to get that done by kind of rallying your teammates to to not sign the contract unless uh, uh, unless they let you pull this prank. Uh, so so I guess the question, like I said, is well documented, but I'm just wondering how often you still get um, asked about that and and or asked to sign that card. How much does that come up in conversation with you? Um, actually, it comes up more than you would think. Uh, <laughs> I think that card and some of the things, like you said, there's uh, there's that trade thing, that, uh, uh, the wackiest trades in baseball, and I think I'm number eight in that, you know, with a baseball and a dozen baseball cards and all that. And then I've got this baseball card um, that was, it, 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 and you're right, it was just a mundane of keeping the same card to do the same thing over and over again same kind of stretch position or whatever the case may be. And the year before, um, there was a lot of guys in the big league that had done some baseball cards that had some swear words on it. Right. You know, Billy Ripon's famous baseball card. Yes. So Topps was very leery now of the next year of of guys doing uh, weird baseball cards or not being like, you know, uh, a pitcher couldn't be holding the bat. A position player couldn't be doing the wind-up. You know, they were really strict on these things now. And so, but I just had this wild hair up my butt to do <laughs> this picture of the comeback <clears throat> of the ball hitting my nuts. And I just had, and I had to have it, and I had to get it done. Now, the best thing that I had going for me was that I had all these prospects in the San Diego. Now, I played 89 in 1990. Excuse me, 88 and 89, I had played with the Las Vegas Stars. Um, so there was so much talent with the Padres system, I get confused on exactly who was in the clubhouse, but I know I had some really talented ball players in there. There was probably and someone so named I Alomar had, in there. <laughs> I had some leverage, yeah. I had a lot of leverage going on Yeah. Uh, with those guys not coming down. And me being the older statesman, uh, me being the older guy, I could go up there at that time. It was Sunday afternoon. You know, it, they could care less if they could come down and take a Marley baseball picture. <laughs> and so I had that leverage against this photographer. He was on time. He kept looking at his watch. The body just said, okay, okay. And so I got to take that picture. Now, flash forward 30 years later, all of a sudden, this $5 <laughs> baseball card, because of all the Moriarty, it shoots up to $600. And I'm like, well, sell these cards. Sell, sell, sell. <laughs> you know, like, a, like trading places. Sell, sell, sell. <laughs> <laughs> so all my brothers, my nieces, my nephews, anybody who had that card, fell, fell, fell. <laughs> did you ever run into that photographer uh, after that? And it... I, I never did. You know, yeah. uh, if, if we, no, I never did. Um, I, I have no idea what happened to him, um, and I really didn't know much about that. I, you know, that card. I remember having seen that card a year later and looking at it for the first time. And it was like I saw my son and my daughter being born for the first time. I was so <laughs> proud of that card. You know, it was like, yeah, Christine, Daniel, that card, same category. Alexandria, same category, <laughs> right there. It, it, it might be fourth in that line, but it's yeah. right there with those girls. And, it, and I just remember looking at that card, coming home and showing my wife, and her looking at it going, why are you making that space? I go, you can't even see the ball hitting my nuts? Are you kidding me? And I go... This is the proudest moment of my baseball life. <laughs> I loved her reaction of, hey, your eyes are closed here. Like, not, not cluing yeah, in yeah. right away. Why are your eyes closed? Yeah, yeah. Everything but no, nothing looking at the net. You know, yeah. Nothing there. 
And, and so 30 years later, when I'm getting this, uh, you know, this notoriety from this baseball card, I'm going back there finally go, see, I told you. Yeah. See, see <laughs> yeah. I told you. See, the proud guy. 30 years later, this is why I was so proud. Fantastic. Love then it. To see, to see other baseball players have showed, telling me that they took pictures later in their careers with that baseball, which I had never known. And they, I'd get, you know, in, in tribute of my card, these guys that made their cards. And then the best part of it, I get these three guys who live somewhere in Ohio, and they said they listened to this uh, ESPN radio station tell about the cards. So they took these pictures of themselves with balls on their nuts yeah. somewhere in these in the in the Grand Canyon somewhere and sent them to me. <laughs> and, uh, that was worthwhile too. <laughs> now I've got these guys who are beer drinkers in the Grand Canyon taking pictures of balls with their nuts. <laughs> Again, very proud moment. Everyone needs a legacy, right? <laughs> Everybody needs a legacy. That's what I said. Everybody needs a legacy. No. Later in, like between 1989 and 91, you were with the the Mariners organization, and that's of course uh, when you ended up uh, playing for the Calgary Cannons. Um, and also, mm-hmm. like some of your best baseball in your career at that point, the Mariners uh, in those early 90s years really put you to work, and and you were very mm-hmm. effective reliever. Tell me a little bit about that time. I mean, you you had guys like, you know, you had Griffey Jr. around, Griffey Senior around. Edgar Buner, Harold Reynolds, Omar Vizquel, Randy Johnson, Tino Martinez, some really special players and a lot of players that are familiar to uh, Calgary baseball fans as well. What was, what were some of the personalities like? Well, it reminded me uh, that, like I said, all that talent, it just reminded me of the Padres and what I just left and all the talent they had there. So um, I was putting up some really good numbers uh, because I had so many people that were working behind me. You know, and then I realized you're only as a reliever, you're only as good as the man behind you. And when I was with the relievers, with the Mariners, man, there was there was just so many good arms behind me. You know, and it was just a pleasure to be with that talent, especially being around with Randy and, and some of those young guns they had. You know, being the oldest guy around, and you just knew that talent, the future Hall of Famers, Edgar, uh, Omar, who I still have no has a crack at, if you ask me. Um, <laughs> Uh, Jay Buhner and, and, and just Randy and those guys, but Junior, just being around Junior and himself and obviously having the opportunity to be around both him and his father. Uh, you know, we used to say, you know, how, what a great kid Junior was. And, 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 and Senior used to say it's because his mom was so great. <laughs> yeah, he had nothing to do with his Junior, raising Junior other than being on the baseball field. Right. Uh, and as, and as baseball fathers, we all knew that to be true. Uh, our sons and our children are only as good as their mothers that were at home with them because they're the ones that did most of the raising. Uh, but with Junior just being around him as an 18-year-old kid and stuff, uh, one of my favorite stories of him was um, he was in a really bad hitting slump and he had struck out and I was coming out to pitch. That, he made the third out of the inning. And I remember as the Brewers, but as they were running off the field to come to hit, Junior was going out to his position yelling at those guys as they were coming to him, don't hit it anywhere near me because if I'm not hitting, nobody hit. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and sure enough, and I just remember as a young 19-year-old kid, uh, you know, being able to say that, you know, and uh, I, was, I was really impressed by him. And then the best part is, too, and, you know, he, if he ever got hit, um, oh, you had to watch out because Randy was Randy was going to hit two other guys. So, 
Yeah, no one wants that. Stay on our toes. Because then you say, you hit one of, you hit Junior, I'm going to hit two of you guys. Now, Jay Buhner in particular seems like someone who would have been uh, similarly aligned comedically with with you. Did you ever get in any any trouble with Buhner? No, yeah. (laughs) Jay was in his class of his own as well. Uh, Some of the pranks that they used to do on Dave Niehaus was just absolutely uh, hilarious. he came into his fruition more when I left the Mariners. Right. Uh, Jay came into fruition really more when I came into this. When he was first younger, he was more of a, a student of watching some of the, uh, the some of the greater guys. Uh, Kenny Phelps before Kenny got traded for, uh, uh, for the Holman and all that. I mean, for Jane Buhner, he got to watch all those other guys. You know, Sinatra, Matt Sinatra, and uh, and Jim Presley, uh, O'Brien, myself. He got to see some of the older guys pull those tricks. Scotty Bankhead, and then he learned from those guys. Now, 1991 was your last uh, pro year, and uh, again, you pitched uh, for for the Calgary Cannons that year. Really good numbers, 3-1 and one record, 3.28 uh, ERA, two saves, 38 Ks, and just over 35 innings. Uh, I, I think you ran into some injury trouble that year. How, did you, did you kind of know... Like that was going to be your last year, or was it just something that you got cut short by by injury? Um, no, that year, uh, you know, being sent down. Uh, uh, now today's uh, today's view, that it would have been called going down to AAA on a rehab assignment. Back then, they didn't have rehab assignments. You just, if you weren't feeling good or if you were hurt, you they sent you down to AAA. But the, the the good thing about being sent down to AAA at that time, uh, man, there was a really good team. And you got to play with some future superstars like Tino Martinez on that time and, and Richie Amaral, you know, and, and some of those guys that were on that team at that time. It was so much fun to be down there. Uh, but the best thing about being down in Calgary for me as an older guy was being able to watch some of those younger guys. And, and, I, and I would never tell them about the cannon. You know, that was my favorite thing. <laughs> you know, just to watch the, yeah, yeah. Some of those younger kids after the home run, the cannon going off. Oh my god! <laughs> the opposing team and some of my younger pitchers. Oh god, it was it was comical. So that was the big thing. Don't ever tell anybody. I used to tell the guys, don't say anything about the cannon. So that was super. <laughs> that was a cardinal rule. Some young kid came up, especially a young right fielder that was right next to that cannon. You do not tell that. No, no. Cardinal rule. Don't say anything about the cannon. <laughs> You know, Calgary used to put some pitchers right into the you know psychiatrist's office too. <laughs> yeah. You can come out of there pitching an inning and a third, giving up sixteen runs. You're like, oh, holy shit, my career is over. <laughs> <laughs> that Calgary Stampede, boy, I'll never forget the Calgary Stampede. Oh, good. Oh, my yeah. gosh. You got to check that out. Yeah, That's good. Yeah. Oh no, no, I'm talking about the baseball when Sacramento, oh. uh, Sacramento <laughs> came up and they yeah. gave up 33 runs in one game. Oh wow! Five runs in one in one series. We called it the Calgary Stampede. <laughs> <laughs> different kind of stampede, yeah, yeah. Way different kind of stampede. Yeah, we'd have to take the sharp metal objects away from the pitchers. That's for sure. Um, I, I won't keep you too much longer because I know you got your your grandkids visiting, and, and I really do appreciate the the time you've you've made for me today. I, I just got, I, before we leave, I definitely wanted to hit up on your 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 coaching career because again, you spent a long time uh, in the minor leagues and, and going going through that system before you ended up with the Texas Rangers, where you're the pitching rehab coordinator. Now, uh, tell me just a little bit about that journey and, and just sticking with it and why it was important to you to to remain in the game. Well, uh, 
I was the kind of guy, um, you know, we talked about my dad and uh, some of the advice that he had given me. And uh, I think the best advice for me, because, you know, he knew he had five boys. Every single one of us was different. But I'll never forget the advice he gave me when I wanted to go for baseball and how, how competitive baseball baseball was. He goes, well, you just make sure that you put all your eggs in this basket then. <laughs> because if you have something to fall back on, you'll fall back. And so um, that's what I did. I put all my eggs in baseball. And, and that year in Calgary, or even a couple of years before that, when I was in my 30, 35, 36 years old, uh, I, I would let coaches, I'd let other organizations know that I'd be into coaching when my playing days were done. And so um, with that, uh, when I did go into coaching, um, I always let those guys know that. But I also wanted to let them see the kind of uh, the player I was would also be the kind of coach I was, which is a, which was a, re, a relational uh, kind of a guy that uh, believed in relationships and uh, and so on and so forth. And as a coach, that's really important that you establish, be able to establish relationships. And that's what I was able to do. So uh, with that being said, uh, uh, that's why coaching was so important to me. And I knew I was sacrificing time away from my family. Uh, my wife knew that baseball was in my blood, so she was, uh, you know, she was all, all for that at that time. Uh, but then um, when there just came a certain time where I didn't want to be a big league coach, and I knew that, and I wanted to settle down and be more of a, a coach that, that was around my family. So uh, that's where the Rangers came in. Uh, the Rangers and I, uh, you know, I, I just told them, I said, I don't want to travel. I don't want to go to affiliate. I just want to settle in. And so we came up with this job. It was really one of the early creations of being a rehab pitching coordinator. Um, they just found a need that they, they have a lot of guys in rehab. We don't know what to do with them. And I said, well, let's start, let's 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 create this job, and that's how it started. Is that role now? Is it like I assume you have some physical awareness of the arm and the mechanics and everything else? But how much of of what you're doing is uh, is more on the mental side of things and and helping people on with, with that aspect of it? Well, well, you hit on the main point. I would say it's probably ninety ten. Yeah. It's more 90, 90 mental and 10 physical. You get, when a kid comes into rehab, it's either um, his mechanics brought him in here, uh, overuse brought him in, um, uh, maybe a new pitch brought him in that he threw, uh, didn't properly throw right. You know, for, for whatever reason, something came in, for some reason came in. And as they progress through the rehab process, as they get through it, uh, sometimes it's mechanics and sometimes it's just a quick fix and that's it. But then they'll, it gets to a mental point, especially when they get on the mound and they start throwing the breaking stuff. Then they got to start working through some mental cobwebs because, you know, what I try to tell the guy, you're going to be out for 14 months. People are passing you up. You know, people are leapfrogging you. I don't care how good you are. If you're a number one pick or you're number 35th pick, it doesn't matter. People are passing you up. And so in rehab, you've got to hit the ground running when you come out of rehab. You're going to have a stronger body. You're going to have a stronger mental outlook. You're going to be, you're, you've gone through mental toughness that some of these guys haven't gone through. So you, you're going to have more of a, a mental toughness coming out than they're going to have. So that's going to be your, that's going to be your edge now. So those are the things that they really work on because it's, it's a grind. It's a tough grind when you go out. I always tell these guys, the days might be short, but the year is long. Yeah. Yeah. I assume you have to watch for guys wanting to do too much too soon and, and get back. Uh, yeah, 
Yeah, there's, 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 yeah. I always tell a guy we're gonna, we're gonna, um, we're gonna have, we're gonna go, uh, we're gonna backtrack. There's sometimes things come up, setback happens, and we have to backtrack, and that's okay. Uh, sometimes there's things we get um, sidetracked, and that's okay too. Things that happen in our families uh, that happen to us that we get sidetracked. Don't worry, I'll bring you back. It's when we get off track. That's what really can get set us back a little bit. And so then I got to get these guys back on track. Keith, the last question for you, and, and thanks again for, for mm-hmm. joining us. Uh, and it's the, the question we ask uh, everyone who comes on our podcast. What does the game of baseball mean to you? Oh, boy. Uh, what it means and what it meant uh, fall into two different categories now. Uh, what it meant to me... Uh, was obviously a way of supporting my family, um, you know, and now what it means to me now is that now my pensions are coming in, my minor league pension, my big league pension, and all those things are taking me because I'm 65 now. So what it means to me now is everything because it's my retirement. Mm-hmm. Um, but those things in the middle, those relationships that, I, that I've established in the middle, um, that baseball brought out to me and, and, and then has given me uh, that you couldn't get anywhere else. Um, you know, you like to think that uh, the game of baseball um, became more of a, um, you know, because I was taught by the, the old generation coaches, the 50s, guys that played in the 50s and the 60s. So baseball was always, uh, you know, a grand old lady to me. It was a grand, what they called the, the, the grand old dame. And so to respect that game. And, and so uh, I, I was always so thankful that the game slowed down for me to jump on and the game slowed down for me to get off. Uh, and I'm glad that, because it, it was like a Ferris wheel. And I know guys that would just stay on the game too long, too long, and then the next thing you know, the game threw them out instead of you being able to walk out. And so being able to walk out graciously, uh, even as a coach, I'm so thankful for that because I look at the guys that got thrown out of the game. And uh, no matter how good they were, they got thrown out and they can't get back in. Keith, thanks so much for for this chat today and uh, all the best to you and your family. And we hope you do enjoy uh, your role with the Rangers and and also family at this time of year. Thank you so much. You know, as you can tell, I hate talking baseball. (laughs) So uh, anytime I get a chance to do that, you know, I'd love to do that and share about it. So thanks again, man. I appreciate it. Thanks again to Keith Comstock and Ian Wilson for the great conversation and all the laughs. And of course, thanks to all of you for downloading and listening. We're getting into the Christmas season now, and the best gift we could see would be a rating and review on your app of choice. Those actions, of course, help spread the word about ADS. We'd also like to once again tip our caps to our amazing platinum supporters for all they do. The Okotoks Dogs will be hosting the WCBL's 2022 All-Star Game and have unveiled their schedule as well. Tickets are available now at dogsbaseball.ca. An AHP Academy was founded this year by Taylor Burns at Absolute Human Performance. Based in St. Albert, they want to prepare athletes to move on to the next level with compassion, integrity, and accountability being their pillars. For more information, head to ahpbaseball.com. Until next time, thanks for all of your support, no matter the platform of Alberta Dugout Stories.